We ask for your prayers in the next two days. We hope it's just two days that we've set aside for our share where we uh, ask and present the needs of these broadcasting ministries uh, before the, the public. Uh, some of you who've been listening to WGIB for over 30 years, it's old hat, but we always have new members, new members, <laughs> new listeners who uh, are not aware that WGIB is listener-supported, absolutely, totally listener-supported. And so we remind them of that and pause for two days of a share where people can call in and, and pledge. And so we pray that you do th- two things. We pray that you'd pray. We can all do that, can't we? And you can all call as well. So that, that helps, uh, helps us to have people to talk to or the, the ladies to talk to and uh, pledge uh, something, if the Lord would lay on your heart, to do that to help us. And just pray that the Lord would be glorified and that our needs would be met. You know, if we didn't have things like this, our, um, we were just talking before the service that answered prayer is one of the proofs that we have a Heavenly Father and that we're His children. And He allows us to be in situations like this where only He can uh, supply. And uh, if, if the Lord had a $10 million trust fund, you know, for WGIB, would we pray about our needs? Would we ask the Lord to to month by month and week by week and day by day to supply our needs. In fact, that's his design for us to pray for our daily bread. And we might would be tempted to forget that if if there was a stockpile of it. Now, if the Lord wanted to send a $10 million trust fund, you know, I don't know what I would do about all that. I, I I think he knows best and he knows exactly what to do. But so I won't even go there. But let's go to the scripture, Psalm 139. We've been studying different aspects of prayer. And I want us tonight to study and think about the, the prayer for a searched heart. When we come to Psalm 139, we, this is one of the most beautiful of the Psalms. Here, the the writer tells us some wonderful things about our God. He tells us that there's no place we can go where God is not there, doesn't have access to us. In fact, I read it somewhere, and I have at the top of my the column of this particular psalm, I have it drawn to verse 8, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. I have this quote, No matter where you go, there you are. You never get away from yourself. And you never get out from God's watchful eye. John Phillips says the writer of the psalm is obviously a poetic genius and a man who knew and loved God. God is referred to by name six times and by personal pronoun 30 times in this psalm. The psalmist refers to himself 50 times. It is a song of profound spiritual experience. All such experience is by its nature personal and intimate, the engagement of a soul with God, he writes. The psalmist speaks here of God's glorious attributes, and in fact, when we come to prayer, we're always reminded that God knows and can do all things. We're reminded of that. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, we often remind ourselves that that they who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so the psalmist investigates and reminds himself in this prayer, and in fact there are several prayers such as this one recorded for us in the Bible that seem to just fit circumstances in our lives. He speaks of God's glorious attributes, those things that are unique to him, that define him and let us know what he is like, his, he, that he knows everything, his omniscience. That he can do anything is omnipotence. 
that he is everywhere at once. Uh, these things that can only be ascribed to our God. Nothing escapes his eye. We can take it to him and remind him of it. Nothing is beyond his power or ability to fix or create or do or mend or put back together. And with all these things in mind, that he's everywhere, knows everything, and can do anything, those are good, uh, that's a good resume, is it not? And I'm not being to be facetious. That's a good resume to take what we have that concerns us before this kind of God. Who is a God like unto thee in the heavens who condescends to us? And with these things in mind, these boggling truths, we're not going to read the entire psalm, but I want to draw our attention to the last two verses with a, a, a very heartfelt, specific, and transparent request. Search me, O God, and know my heart, that inner man, my heart, my mind, my will, and my emotions, the real me. Search all of that, Lord, that I can't even dissect when one begins and the other from the mind to the soul and all that is the inner man. But you search all of that inner man and know my heart, Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a prayer that every child of God ought to pray and we ought to pray it often. As we approach the Lord's table, as we will this coming Lord's Day, we are to examine ourselves. Paul tells the Corinthians, which is a pattern for all of us, as the scripture teaches, to examine ourselves. Notice what David prays here in these verses. First of all, we see that he addresses God. Search me, O God. The Lord is the only one who can do that. We're not even equipped to do it. We often say, if I know my heart, if I know my mind, if I know where I was or what I was doing, well, the fact is, we're not even expert in this area. We can deceive ourselves. We can go by feelings or something that was not really there. But God knows the facts, doesn't he? He knows all about Chris Lamb. The things that Chris Lamb chooses to overlook are just as ignorant of. Search me, O God. He really knows our hearts. When you look there at verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me. He's done it. And now he's asking him to do it again in the last part of the, the psalm. And known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Every time we move, he knows it. He, he, this is all encompassing. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path in my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways, my bents, my proclivities, those areas in my life that, that define me. There is not a word in my tongue, O Lord, but thou hast knowest it altogether. Now, no psychiatrist, no teacher or friend or pastor or parent our mate, or anyone, our kindred spirit, the closest person on earth, nobody can really truly know our innermost thoughts. In fact, we wouldn't dare tell them to anybody. There are things that in our hearts and minds that are there that we might ponder or question that we'd be embarrassed for anyone to know, but we can tell it to him. The Lord is the searcher of hearts. And he knows us intimately, and he knows us accurately. And so the psalmist is saying, Lord, I might have fooled myself into thinking I've grown farther in grace than what I really have, or that there, there may be something that I'm not seeing in myself, but I want to be searched by the great searcher of hearts because I want to be right with you, and I want to be the person that you can use and bless. Search me, uh, O Lord. Secondly, he asks God to search him through and through. 
He asked the Lord to search his thoughts, and he, he asked for sin to be exposed. Now, this is not a very pretty uh, or delightful or enjoyable task. This kind of examination, this kind of scrutiny of the heart and mind is a very tender and a very personal thing. Do we regularly ask the Lord to do that? I'm afraid that because we are in grace and that there's now, therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, that we can get used to that kind of grace and come to the false notion that it really doesn't matter how we live and, or that God just overlooks it as a big grandfather that, and who understands it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. That's the, that's the supposition that, that someone in Romans, the Roman congregation, had, the church at Rome had asked Paul when we come to Romans chapter 6. And that's when he says, what? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, away with the thought. But we do away with the thought of our own sinfulness, even though we are in Christ and his grace is great. But that grace is not to be abused. We're to constantly ask him to search our hearts and to shine the spotlight of his word into every crevice and corner so that there might be some cobwebs. Have you ever moved a piece of furniture or you could see up under a table or whatever, and you re- but you moved it and there, <laughs> there, there was stuff there that you didn't know was there. It was surprising that it looked quite like that. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit will do that if we ask him to. He desires that every wicked way be revealed, the psalmist does. The word here for search is really to ransack. And ladies, the closest thing I can show to you would be like if you lost the setting out of your ring and you had it this morning, you looked at it and you've been at home all day and the next thing you knew this afternoon, the setting was not in your ring. What do you do? You start taking things apart. You look in the sink. You think, oh, my, I wonder if you call the plumber. You, you, you begin to ransack. Or if you had a, a, a $10,000 check come through the mail unexpectedly, and you, you, it's somewhere here, and you've got to find it, you begin to take the place apart. That's ransacking. And that's what he asked the Holy Spirit to do him. Take me apart, up and down, bit by bit. It, it also comes to mind of, uh, of a policeman with a search warrant going through a house room by room looking for pertinent information that, that has got to be found, all the, the, the facts and the details of, at a crime scene. Or we have the idea of a distressed parent who's lost their child at the mall or, the, or uh, at a park or something, and that ransacking, searching, where, where? It's, a, it's an immediacy, it's a concern. And it's an, an alarmed situation that you've got to remedy it. You want to get to the bottom of it. Search me, oh God. We see the searchlight, scanning the darkness, probing, looking, turning things over, opening doors, looking down stairways, looking under brambles and brushes and hedges, pushing things back. Things can get cluttered up in our heart just like they can on our desk. We're having share and uh, whenever I clear my desk, the staff always come in and say, who's coming? <laughs> they always know, well, this is not the way you normally live, and someone will say, you know, who's, what's happening? So I was, as I was shoveling things and, and trying to find a place for everything just a while ago, I, you know, once you get that done, you think, why can't I just keep it like this? Why can't I live life like this? Why can't all these books be in their alphabetical order and the papers be filed? And, and I'll just say, you know what? I'm going to do it this time. I'm not going to let this desk get like this. And 
I guarantee you by Shareathon next year, there'll be some scrambling on the day before in my office trying to put things uh, to where they should be. But in the spiritual house cleaning, we have to do the same things. Things just pile up, don't they? Things get ignored. And David prays that God will ransack him from within, from top to bottom, and search him through and through and see if there's any hidden sin, anything that grieves him, anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit from being able to fully work in in his life and use him as he would. Psalms 26 verse 2 says, Examine me, O Lord, scrutinize me, put me under the microscope, and prove me. Try my reins, my personality, my innermost being, and my heart. Job said this in Job 31, verse 6, Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. His friends had an opinion of him. Job wanted God to reveal to him in his balance what exactly was the truth. Thirdly, we see that he shows courage and sincerity and humility in praying this prayer. No one can truly pray this prayer insincerely. It would be unthinkable. Or with a proud heart. You're, you're saying, Lord, I know that knowing me, knowing Chris Lamb and knowing who he is, there must be something there that I may have overlooked and, or am overlooking, and I want you to show it to me. It would be a mockery for this not to be a prayer of sincerity. David prays as one who is hungry for God. We often sing, you know, my heart uh, as a deer panteth for the water. Uh, I'm starving, I'm I'm thirsty for you, Lord. And David prays as someone like that and who wants to grow spiritually. It'll be a sad day in my heart, in your heart, when we think we've got it all together and we're self-satisfied and we don't pray like this. This is a prayer of a growing Christian, a Christian who truly wants revival at any cost. He wants to be turned That word turned means to to experience repentance, to be realigned, to be put in a right thought, a frame of mind, in a right relationship with the Lord. It reminds us of what Matthew 5 verse 6 promises. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's a promise, isn't it? But the hunger must be there for it. Only those who are, the only ones who are filled are those who truly hunger and thirst for the Lord to, to perform this work in, in their hearts. There are three aspects of this prayer I would like for us to examine in just this, these moments that we have together. First of all, why we should pray this prayer. Secondly, when we should pray this prayer. And thirdly, how we should pray it. First of all, why? Why would we pray a prayer like this? There, there's one answer. <laughs> And I think it's already obvious, we've already alluded to it, because our hearts and our lives quickly get cluttered up with stuff. Now, you may be, as I alluded to before, maybe one of these organized persons, your closet is by the the right color, you know, the white shirts, the blue shirts, and all that kind of thing, and nothing ever gets out of place. And and that's that's fine, but, but some of us... We, you know, things get cluttered up, even even though you do it every once in a while, and you have to go back and readjust things, or or that junk drawer. You know, you got that drawer where just everything goes, and and it. it my idea of cleaning house, I'll just be honest with you. My wife's in the nursery. I don't know if she's hearing this or not, and, and it's a point of contention with us. If people are coming, you know what I do? I just open drawers and do this and shut drawers, and I think, well, out of sight, out of mind. And it looks wonderful, and nobody knows unless they open a drawer. Hopefully they won't. And she always says, you know, you're just creating work for me. I have to go back and find out what is where when you do it like that. So, but anyway, that's, that's my philosophy 
of cleaning, and it's a bad one, isn't it? Not, nothing is accomplished like that. And that's the way we do spiritually sometimes. We just shovel it away, and we think, well, it looks good. But you know what? It doesn't look good because if you open that door or that drawer, my goodness. And that's what the problem is here. We can do that spiritually. We can make little starts. We can, we can have devotions and, and all those things that are right and good, but we can still ignore a mountain of stuff that's not... Uh, brought to our view. Unless we pray like this, it won't be. Because Chris Lamb will tell Chris Lamb that everything's all right. Look, I I don't see anything. If you go pull open the drawer and look carefully, you'll see. It's so very easy for any of us to let wrong things in and, and then to let them stay there, to harbor there. Make no provision for the flesh. Uh, let, you know, don't give place to the devil, because if you give him an inch, he'll come on in, won't he? Uh, Nehemiah speaks about having to clear out the rubbish and, and the ruins and trash so that the walls could be rebuilt. One of the problems, it wasn't that he didn't have zeal or desire to rebuild the wall, and he even got permission to go back and do it, but one of the problems was, he says, there is so much rubbish in Nehemiah 4.10 that we're not able to build the wall. That's the way for us to make progress in building our spiritual lives, we've got to clear out things. Now, if when you read the directions on Gorilla Glue and stuff like that, or some kind of epoxy that you're trying to glue something back together, what does it always tell you? Always. Make sure the surface that you're going to glue something to is clean. Make sure there's no dirt or debris. Because if you don't remove the debris, guess what? It's not going to work. And so to build something... The trench has to be cleared out. The debris has to be dealt with. Lamentations four, 3 verse 4 says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. There's that word again, turn, that word repent. Purity of life can only spring from a pure mind. And this is where the battlefield, the battleground takes place. And that's why we daily must wage the warfare for purity. All of us, not just teens, not just young people. Somehow people think purity is for a certain stage of life or a certain age, but it's for all of God's people. And it's an area that has to be strived for because we live in an impure world, don't we? The cesspool, the sewage of hell is just gushing forth and it's rising in our our lives and we have to combat it. And that's why we daily must wage the warfare for purity and shun anything, no matter how harmless it may appear on the surface, that would draw our hearts and minds away. Because Satan is desiring to do that. The Bible tells us to abstain from all appearance of evil. A.W. Tozer said, The part of ourselves that we rescue from the cross may be a little part of us, but it is likely to be the seat of our spiritual troubles and our defeats. He goes on to say that everything must be taken to Calvary and placed at Jesus' feet. Oswald Chambers wrote, If for one whole day, quietly and determinedly, we were to give ourselves up to the ownership of Jesus Christ and to obeying his orders, we should be amazed at the close of that day to realize all that he had packed into that one day. Oh, that we could live every day like that. As we go through the daily round, we are bombarded, aren't we, by those fiery darts, those thoughts, those scenes, those pictures, those lyrics, 
the trashy talk of maybe coworkers or the people that are around. You may be standing in a line and hear some, somebody say something, some joke, or the tabloids, the, the commercials, the advertisements, the conversations. It just comes our direction. And that's part of being in this world. And sometimes we even struggle with reliving old memories and, and of sin and rehearse on the videotape of our mind uh, the, those things that displease the Lord, that grieve the Holy Spirit, and that thwart our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He doesn't want us to be thirsty for God. He doesn't want us to get to this place where we're desperate for Him. When the stomach is full, it doesn't matter if it's full from eating a well-balanced meal or, or two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. It's full. And when it is full, you will not desire good food. If you've eaten junk food, you won't be desirous of the broccoli that, that you should be eating. One of the grandkids were eating with us recently, and there were some green beans, and he didn't know what to call it. He said, I like this green stuff here. Whatever it is, I like this. But we won't desire that if we've been eating chocolate chip cookies all afternoon. You have to... You have to Prepare your appetite for that which is best. It's the same spiritually. When you drink at the cesspools of Hollywood, at the Internet, and, or whatever it is, the, the medium that, that may be that you have not carefully gone through, you feed upon the husk of that kind of triviality. Uh, you know, you're full and you'll not hunger and thirst after better things, after righteousness. It's easy to become slack. It's easy to become careless and even spiritually, not on guard, spiritually insensitive. And that's why we have to pray like this. It's easy to become guilty of wrong attitudes towards others or hold grudges uh, to repeat things, uh, to become prayerless or to become careless about uh, the desperate need of men and women all around us. Everybody you came across today are headed to eternity. Do you realize that? Every soul person that ticked you off, the person that got your parking place, the person that checked you out at the checkout place, the co-worker, everyone we came across today is a soul marching toward eternity. And once we let that seep deep down in our hearts and minds, it changes the way we look at things. How easy it is to become lukewarm in our worship and love for the Lord Jesus Christ, who deserves a, a heart of raging love and on fire, a fiery love and thirst for him. These are the reasons we should pray that the prayer found at the closing of Psalm 139, that God would reveal to us our sin and our failure, and that he would ransack us and uncover for us what we have hidden. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And let my, search me, O God, my actions try, someone has written, and let my life appear as seen by thine all-searching eye, to mine ways make clear. Secondly, we should pray this prayer when we're coming, as we've mentioned, to the Lord's table. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, in light of the examination done by the word of God. We should pray this prayer when we're experiencing prosperity. Now, some forget that prosperity is always a test. And if you don't view it that way, you'll be lulled into thinking that you either deserve it or you're so smart or you're just the right person. But prosperity, we know that the Bible says that everything comes from the Lord, doesn't it, that comes our way. How little or how much we have. 
it is the Lord that gives us power to get wealth. Prosperity is a test, and when we we can be caught off guard and, and put more emphasis on the possession or the position than we should. And pride is a great sin, isn't it? It's at the root of, of every sin. Psalm 62 verse 10 tells us, If riches increase, think about it, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. For one reason, they can decrease just like they increase, can't they? Things change in every situation. There's, there's no job, no station in life that's so protected that, that things can't change. And so that's why the Bible calls them uncertain riches. They certainly are uncertain, aren't they? We should pray this prayer when we are experiencing adversity, not only prosperity, but adversity. There's something about adversity that makes us feel that the Lord has forgotten us or that his word is not quite true, or that maybe we're not what we ought to be. But adversity, persecution, is part of what God uses to perfect us. And so instead of shunning it, we should pray through it. Lord, let me learn what you want me to learn during this adversity. We should ask the Lord if the adversity is a chastening hand. We should always say, now, Lord, is this something you're trying to get my attention, or, or of unconfessed sin, or, or regarded sin? We should pray this prayer when our our service seems fruitless and barren. We ought to always examine that. Are we growing spiritually? Are we witnessing for the Lord? Are we speaking up for him? Does does the Lord and his work captivate our hearts and lives? Is our, 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 our love for his church, his bride, zealous and fiery as it should be? Are we right with one another? We should pray this prayer when our, our, our service seems fruitless and barren. It's the Lord's will that we bring fruit, isn't it? He left us here to bring forth fruit. If you have an apple tree in your yard, you're expecting some apples or blueberries or whatever it is. If not, there's a problem. You're wondering why. You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And you know why he did? Not only for his own good pleasure, but that we should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. For that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. We should pray this prayer when revival is needed in the church. I I know that we would have to all say that revival is needed. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Selah, think about that. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. He's done all these things. We, we have to pray that he would turn us toward him. Wilt thou be angry for us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? The psalmist is wondering, will we ever see a revived church? Will we ever see it as people saw it of old, the things we read about, as we heard from our missionary tonight? Oh, Lord, we long to see that. Wilt thou not, verse 6 of Psalm 85 asks, wilt thou not revive us again? We ought to so plead with the Lord. How can you not revive us? We're your people. You've saved us. You've spared us from your wrath. Turn us. Won't you revive us again? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us Thou salvation. And then he says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace into his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. You ought to go back and read Psalm 85. It's a, a revival psalm. 
we should pray this prayer when our prayers don't seem to be heard. Now, we're at a prayer meeting tonight, and we're about to, to pray. We should pray this prayer as we go into prayer meeting. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me. The Bible tells us in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That word regard means to approve, to consider or excuse, to enjoy or to envision. If I have that kind of attitude towards sin, how can the Lord hear my prayer? Isaiah reminded God's people in Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the arm of the Lord is not shortened, that it cannot save. Is God still in the saving business? Praise God, He is. He can still save, like he, we heard from our missionary, like He did on the day of Pentecost. He can save people like Paul and Nicodemus and Lydia and the Ethiopian eunuch and you and me. Aren't we evidences that he's still saving? You wouldn't be here tonight if he didn't do it. So Isaiah reminds us that we ought to come boldly at prayer meetings and say, Lord, your arm is not short that you cannot save. We have people in our midst that need to be saved. Neither is your ear heavy that it cannot hear. What's the problem then if people aren't being saved, Glenn Iris? And if prayers aren't being answered? If his arm is not shortened, his ear is not heavy... Verse 2 tells us in Isaiah 59, but, remember those holy conjunctions, but your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. What a horrible thing that my sin would build a wall between me and a prayer here in God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. God never leaves us, forsake us, but he does, spiritually speaking, turn his face from us so that the light of his presence is not felt. The assurance of his abiding presence, which every child of God ought always to know, it seems as if God's a million miles away. And when he does, we need to do some searching and ransacking. We should pray this prayer when we find ourselves getting critical and careless, which is often a tendency of God's people. Is the children of Israel blessed? Were they blessed? Oh, yes. Favored? How highly favored were they? Fed by the Lord? Led out of bondage? Led even when they were in uh, willfulness? And yet brought to Canaan? When we are careless, when we are conscious that all is not well with our spiritual lives. And lastly, we should pray this prayer in, in relation to ourselves. It's one thing to see that others need to be searched and tried, but I need to see that Chris Lamb needs to be searched and tried. It's a very personal prayer here. We're, we're looking right down into the window of the psalmist's heart. And that's what the Bible, the Holy Spirit gives us opportunities to look in people's lives that you wouldn't ordinarily see. When you see Abraham's sin or Lot's faults or Jacob's sins or Judah's sins or Reuben's sins, it's not for us to delve in or to rejoice in. It's just to show us what the human condition is like. And we have this window in David's heart. We can look into his heart, this very personal heart, and we say, search me. Not search Kathy. That would be my tendency as a husband. Or search the deacons. Or search my neighbor. We should pray for others and intercede. But this prayer is for me. It is for you. Search me. See how that personal pronoun there? Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam, the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold a beam that is in thine own eye? First, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. We should pray it in private, in light of God's word. This is a good prayer to pray with an open Bible. And it is then that such a prayer will glorify God and bring blessing to our lives. We should pray it with determination. This is not one of those half-hearted prayers. Oh, Lord, show me. And then say, okay, well, okay. Then it must not be anything. No. We must give the Spirit opportunity to work and to, to lift up the layers that, that may be under the callousness of our heart. If we are sincere in praying it, we will quickly admit anything that the Lord reveals to us. If the Lord shows us is grieving Him and displeasing Him. Sometimes it will have a face. Sometimes it will be a situation. Sometimes it will be a habit. Sometimes it will be an attitude. And the Lord will reveal it to us when we pray this prayer. Then our part is to confess it and to forsake it. We're to confess and forsake what God reveals. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. How? Spiritually. This is not talking about the stock market. This is the spiritual prosperity that we're talking about. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot fake it. It is the real spirituality can only come from the Lord. And it can only come when we do this kind of business before him in the heart. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, no matter what it looks like on the outside. But he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Forsake means to relinquish, to loosen, to let go, like untying a ship and letting it just go out unhindered. Let that sin be sent off as the scapegoat was in the Old Testament. Let out to the wilderness, to let it go, to leave off, to, to refuse it. That's what forsaketh means. We will make restitutions where it is required. This is a very difficult thing, but what, when, when Jesus said that salvation had come to Zac, uh, Zacchaeus' house, it was when Zacchaeus said, I will repay he said, surely salvation has come to this house because this man truly wants to be made right, not only with the Lord, but with his fellow men. Notice how the prayer ends. It's a very interesting thing. Lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting is the way of peace, the way of joy, the way of power, powerfulness and, and usefulness. You know, Paul's greatest prayer and concern is that lest he preach what I'm doing tonight and then become set aside by the Lord. A, a clanging brass, a tinkling cymbal, not, not effective for the Lord. We were left here to be useful, truly, eternally useful in the lives of others. That's how this usefulness comes when we do business with the Lord in this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. We know that the Bible is true. If we confess our sin, he's promised, hasn't he? He is faithful and just. He's always ready to do that. To cleanse us from our sins. To forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, this is the prayer for our search heart. And may the Lord search us as his people, as his church, as a corporate body of believers, and all of us individually as well.